Allah is perfect in all of his attributes and a human being is weak and deficient in all of his attributes. Allah is looking is so perfect that he can see each and every member of his creation doing each and everything at each and every moment in time so much so that it comes in hadith and on the blackest of nights, on the blackest of rocks, at the blackest of ants is walking, Al-Fadal is able to see that. And a human being is so weak that if he looks to his left, his sight is so weak that if he looks to his left, he can't see to his right. Unless there is proper light, proper illumination, he is unable to see. A human being's ear hearing is so weak that you cannot listen or understand more than one or two people at the same time. If you're on the phone and people around you are talking, you ask them to keep quiet, to be able to focus on what the person on the phone is saying to you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hearing is so perfect that He can hear what each and every person is saying. He can hear the du'as of each and every person in the entire earth all together at one time. In fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's dominion is so great that Prophet said in the hadith that if all the human beings from the time of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam until the end of time, so that would mean billions and billions of people. In fact, right now there are six billion people alive right now. So from the time of Sayyidina Adam Islam, from the beginning of humanity all the way until the end of humanity, if all of those people were to gather together and they would make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for each and everything that their heart desired, not only could Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hear each and every one of their du'as simultaneously, but if Allah were to grant them each and everything that their heart desired, it would still not diminish the dominion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala any more than a needle when dipped into an ocean diminishes the water of an ocean. But a human being, despite all these weak characteristics that he has, despite all these deficiencies that he has, Allah subhanahu wa gave him one tool, one emotion, one jazbah, that if a human being has this thing, that it can bring him out from ignorance into knowledge, it can bring him out from darkness into light, this jazbah, this emotion is the muhabbat, the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A human being needs this love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He needs this love just the same way a plant needs water. If you see a plant that doesn't have access to water, or a tree that doesn't have water, then it slowly begins to wilt, the leaves begin to die. Just like that, that human being who does not have the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his heart, slowly and surely he begins to die. But, miraculously, just like if you see that a plant is half dead, or is in the process of dying, if somebody starts to water that plant, if somebody comes who takes care of that plant, if a gardener comes who wishes to nurture that plant, when he starts watering that plant, then that plant can get its life back, it can escape the clutches of death, its leaves will come back and become green. Just like that, that believer who became distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whose heart was absent from the love for Allah, who began to lead or began to progress towards a slow but sure spiritual death, if he begins to water his soul, water his heart with the love for Allah, just like that plant which was dying when it is given water, it regains its life. Just like that, that heart of the believer, when it gets the love for Allah, his heart will begin to regain its life.
So actually, one of the purpose of our lives, as Allah mentioned in this Quran, that those who believe are extreme in their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It means that one of our maqsad, one of our purposes, one of our aims and objectives in this world is to become people who love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now what is one way that the ulama mashaykh write that how can you judge whether you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whether you have this mahabba? So one way you can do is you can look at your du'a. Look at your du'a and look at the things that you ask for. So today there are many people who ask for cars, who ask for a wife, who ask for success on their exams, who ask for a better job, who ask for all these type of things. It shows that they don't have the love for al in their heart. Because these same people, they never ask al that, Oh Allah, I ask that I wish to have a relationship with you. I ask for you for your ta'luk. I ask you for your rida, for your pleasure. But, oh Allah, I ask you to uh, grant me ease on the Day of Judgment. So you just have to look at the things that you pray for. And if you pray for things that have nothing to do with Allah, have nothing to do with deen, have nothing to do with your akhirah, and all the time, all the things that you pray for have to do with things of this world, it means that you, there's something missing in your heart. You don't have a love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your heart. Because that person, it's only human nature to turn to that being that you're closest to whenever you're worried. So if you're in a state of worry and you're in a state of anxiety, you can look at who do you turn to. Do you make dua to Allah or do you call your friend on the phone? Or do you think that by turning on the television or watching a movie, somehow your anxiety or depression or worry will go away? Do you try to escape from the reality of your life by vegging out and losing yourself in a novel or watching a movie? Or do you realize that if you're in a difficulty, that the true being who can take you out of this difficulty, the only being who has the ability to ease your worries and provide you comfort is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So do you turn to Him immediately? Do you pray two rakats nafil? Do you turn to Him in long du'a? Do you make du'a from your heart? So all a person needs to do is look at his own du'a, look at his own ibadah, look how he acts in this world, and you yourself or we ourselves will be able to see how much we love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this word mahabba, this word love can be used for many different type of things. Both in terms of our worldly loves and in terms of our spiritual loves. For example, if there's a woman, so she will use the word mahabba that she has love for her brother. But that type of love that she has for her brother is more like endearment, sibling love. And then she'll use the same word that she has love for her father. But the type of love she has for her father is a bit different in nature it's more like a love of respect. Then she might use the same type of word. She would say that she loves her son. But the type of love that she has for her son is more a caring type of love, a protective type of love. Then she might use the same word, love that she has for her husband, and that type of love that she has for her husband is more of an emotional or a passionate love. So this word, Muhammad, can be used in different ways. So there are different types of love that a person has. But, Prophet Samson Hadith, that a person should have all his loves for Allah subhanahu ta'ala. That that person who loves for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he hates or he dislikes things for the sake of Allah. And he gives something for the sake of Allah. And he holds back or he refrains from giving something. All of these things he does for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then or his iman becomes perfect and complete. So what does this mean on the one hand that we're supposed to have these different loves for our parents, for our children, for our spouses, 
for our fellow believers, etc. And on the other hand, all our love is supposed to be for Allah. So actually what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants is that we first cut ourselves off from all of creation. We cut ourselves, we sever all the ties of love that we have, and we love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then once we love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of the nisbat or the relationship for that love, in the name of that love, then we come back and we love our creation. In other words, we love our parents, not simply because they're parents, but we love our parents because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes us to love them, because He is pleased that we love them. We love our spouses not simply because they're our spouses, but because Allah Ta'ala wishes or He has placed the seed of love for the husband and wife, each for the other, in our hearts. So we should love everyone in man ahambalillah. That we should, even if we love somebody in the world, we should love them for the sake of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And this is anyway, this is a way that any one of us can check that if any of our loves that we have in this world are pure. Because if you're unable to make that niyyah, that, oh I love this person for the sake of Allah. I love this person in the path of Allah. I love this person in the name of Allah. If you're unable to do that with some love that you have, then that's a sign that that love is a false love. It's a false crush. It's a delusion that you've given yourself. You've given your heart away to a false love. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to love each and everything in this world in His name and in His sake. In fact, if you look at those people who were successful in loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our Salaf Salihin, they used to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so much that they used to rise at night for His worship. They used to pray long rakats of salah on their tahajjud. They used to make lots of dhikr, dua, read Quran at night. And when the night would finish, they used to cry to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so much that one shaykh has written in a book that they used to cry to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as if, or in the same way, that a young boy cries before his father when his father is angry with him, or even more if his father is beating him. And the son cries so much, he starts to wail, he starts to hiccup, he starts to gasp in his breath, he cries so much before his father, because he wants his father to forgive him. That's how much our Salaf Salim used to cry after spending the entire nights of Ibadah. Or as our Shaykh mentioned in one place, that the Salaf Salim used to cry so much, as if they spent the entire night in sin, that's how they would cry after spending the entire night in Ibadah. And the people like you and me, who we actually spend our nights in sin, were unable to shed one tear at the end of the night. So the difference between them and us was not their zamana, was not the age that they lived in. The difference between them and us was their level of muhabba, their love they had for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They were crazy mad in their love for Allah. Their life mission was how can they please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They never viewed themselves as worthy of being presented before Allah. They never really were content that they had reached a level where they were pleasing before Him. They were always trying to improve. So for those of us who ask that I feel that I'm not able to progress in my spirituality, I'm not able to improve, it means because we don't have that energy that causes improvement. The car is not going to be able to move further down the road unless it has the gasoline inside of it. So the energy source for our deen, the energy source to progress along the Salat al-Mustaqim is the muhammad, the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are two things that are obstacles in increasing in our love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One we will talk about briefly tonight, and one we will talk about extensively on Friday night, inshallah. The first one is Jamal, which is beauty. That we will talk about on Friday. And the other one is Mal, which is wealth or money or the dunya. Because Prophet said in the hadith, 
that the love of the dunya is the source, is the root of all errors, of all sins, of all deviation. The more and more we love this dunya, it is the source of all of our deviation. Now to understand love of dunya, and, and, and I've told you guys this before, that everybody in their heart, the heart was made to love. The function of your heart is to love. It either loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or it loves the dunya. There's no way that there's some third condition. Just like a room either is light or a room is dark, there's no room in the world which you can say it's neither light nor is it dark. Just like that, your heart is like a room. It's like a vessel. It's a container. Either that container is filled with the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or it is filled with the love for the dunya. So we need to understand what is the dunya. The dunya doesn't mean fancy cars and fancy homes. The Islamic definition of dunya is anything that distracts you from the remembrance of Allah, anything that causes you to forget Allah, anything that may keep you from the worship of Allah, anything that may make you forget to pray your salah, anything that keeps you from following the Qur'an, Sunnah and Sharia, that is called dunya. So for some people, yes, it is the love that they have for money, that they are so busy pursuing their money that it makes them oblivious to the dunya. But there might be some people who have a lot of money and it doesn't distract them from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so we won't call their money dunya. So how can you tell whether you have this love for dunya? Or how can you tell rather that your worldly possessions or the things that you have, they're dunya or not? So listen to the story of a sheikh. There was once a sheikh who was a very well-off person and he was a clothes merchant and he had a shipment of cloth coming in from overseas, an entire shipload of goods coming in from overseas. Now he was sitting and addressing his students and a messenger came to him and said, that, Oh Sheikh, we just heard some news from the harbor. That, that ship that was coming and bringing your cloth, we heard the bad news that that ship has sunk and the entire shipment has been lost at sea. The Sheikh listened to that news and he looked down for a moment. And then he looked up and he said, Alhamdulillah, and then he continued with his talk. And then about 30 to 40 minutes later, another messenger came from the harbor and said, Oh Sheikh, we had some new news, is that the ship that was lost at sea turned out not to be yours. We were mistaken, it was somebody else's ship. And your ship that is bringing all your goods and all the cloth that you ordered, that is about to come in and anchor into harbor. He listened to the second message, he looked down for a moment, he reflected, then he looked up and he said, Alhamdulillah, and then he continued with his talk. Well, now his students were surprised. <laughs> How is this? That two totally opposite types of news, two opposite types of information came, and the Shaykh had the same reaction in both instances. So one of the students asked him that, Oh Shaykh, why is it that you did this? That both times you just looked down and you said, Alhamdulillah. So the Shaykh said, Well, the first time when I got the message that the ship bearing uh, my cloth had sunk at sea, I bowed my head and I looked into my heart to see that did my heart feel sad at all that I lost this piece of the dunya? So when I looked in my heart, I found that it wasn't sad at all, at least in the dunya, so I said, Alhamdulillah. And then when the second messenger came and gave me the news that my ship was anchoring into the harbor, so again I looked down into my heart and I asked my heart, that, are you happy at the news of gaining the dunya? Did my heart get any happiness at gaining the dunya? I saw that my heart was not happy at that, so then I looked up again and said, Alhamdulillah, it means that the sign that you don't have the love of the dunya in your heart is that your heart is not sad or happy if you gain or you lose the dunya. That your heart, the happiness of your heart depends on the relationship and the love you have for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now some of you might be thinking, how can that be? That's not possible. How can I not be happy if I get a job? 
How can I fail to be sad if I get fired? How can I reach that level? Well, look, many of us, we're at that level already, but in a different way. What does that mean? That if we oversleep at Fajr, our heart is not sad at all? So if I tell you that you have to reach a level that your heart should not be sad if you lose the dunya, and you think that is strange, so I would argue that it's even more strange that the condition of our heart is already at this, that our heart is not sad when we lose something of the deen. And when we oversleep for Fajr, how many of us can say we've shed one tear for missing Fajr that morning? We simply wake up, we look at the alarm, we see it's 8 o'clock. Okay, too bad. Maybe tomorrow. Unless you fail to cry, and how many of us can say we've cried over some exam, over some paper that we failed to write, over an F we got in class, over some job that we lost, over a thousand things like that. In fact, all you have to do is look at your crying if you want to see what you love in your heart. Look at the things you cry over in your life. Or alternatively, if I told you, that look at the happinesses in your life. Look how happy you get when your favorite sports team wins the championship. You get happy over such trivial things. You jump out of your seat, you leap in joy, you high-five one another. Have you ever felt such happiness in the deen? Have you ever high-fived one another after an itikaf or after something like that, some type of deeny activity? It shows you that look where your sadnesses lie, look where your happinesses lie, you yourself realize what it is that you value in your heart, and obviously what you value in your heart is what you love. If anybody wants to see if they have the love for Allah subhanahu in their heart, ask yourself, were you ever sad that you were distant from Allah? Did you ever feel sad when you disobeyed Allah? Were you ever happy or content when you obeyed Him? Everybody has the ability to judge themselves. Allah says in the Quran that He created everybody's nafs, He straightened it, and He inspired us with that which is good for it, that which is wrong for it. So there's no secret magic to finding out what your condition is. It's just a question of whether you want to open your eyes to your reality or whether we wish to choose to continue to blind ourselves and to lead a life of self-deception and of self-delusion. So the two things that are barriers to the love for Allah one is Jamal, one is beauty. We'll discuss that some other time. The second was mal or wealth or the dunya. Hubba dunya ra'asukun that the love of the dunya is the source of all error, source of all deviation. So now you can realize that love of dunya doesn't mean just bad loves. By love of dunya, it doesn't mean loving sin or loving doing something wrong. It means letting even the permissible things of the dunya take a hold of your heart. This heart is left for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, when we say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that you're supposed to live in the dunya, you're supposed to work, you're supposed to have a job, you're supposed to study, what we meant by that is you're supposed to give your body, your time, your brain to all these things. You're supposed to give so many things to this world. There's only one thing that you're supposed to reserve for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that was your heart. This heart was meant to be reserved 100% for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if we have failed to do that, it means now we have to think and we have to work on turning our hearts to Allah. It is only natural for a human being to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This requirement or this demand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has of us, that if we want to be Allah amanu, we should be extreme in our love, this is only something that is natural. Why? Because a person normally loves something for a number of reasons. The first reason you might love something is because it's beautiful. 
Everybody loves something that's beautiful, whether it's a beautiful person, whether it's a beautiful scenery. Right? You love to look at a beautiful scenery. You love to look at a lake or a valley or a waterfall or a rainbow. Everybody loves to look at things that are beautiful. Everybody falls in love with beauty. So we should reflect that if we love those things that are beautiful, imagine how beautiful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala must be. He is the creator of all beauty. So if you wish to be a person who loves things that are beauty, it is only natural that you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second reason a person might fall in love with some being, some entity, is because that being has done a lot for you. That being has a lot of favors he has given you. So when you reflect on the kindness of that being, for example, if you have a very good friend, then why does he become your good friend? Why do you say that so-and-so is my best friend? Because your best friend did so many things for you, because he helped you out in your times of need, because he's comforted you in so many times, because you know he's there for you to rely upon. Well, just like that, if you wish to love something because you can rely on them, because they can be of benefit to you, because they can help you, because they're kind to you, because they've given you something, then know that there's no being who's given you more than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That you cannot, if you were to try to count the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you've been able to do so. And there's no being who can help you more than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's no being who has more power to extract you from your difficulties and your worry than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's only natural that you love Allah. And if you love creation, we'll know that sooner or later, one day, if for no other reason other than death, you will be separated from that creation. But if you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then there will come a day when you will have the liqa, that you will be united, you will meet your Lord. So it is so much more better to give your love, to give your heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Actually, this is the meaning of tawheed. The true meaning of tawheed is to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exclusively. Somebody, once a sheikh asked the students that what is the meaning of Tawheed? So one of his students said that Tawheed means to believe that there is no worship, uh, there is no being worthy of worship for Allah, except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or to put it rather simply, that Allah alone is worthy of worship. So what is the meaning of Tawheed? That student said that Allah alone is worthy of worship. The sheikh said, no, that's not the meaning of Tawheed. Very strange. For all of us in childhood, that's what we've heard, that this is the meaning of Tawheed. That to believe that Allah alone is worthy of worship. <coughs> the Sheikh said, no, that's not the meaning of Tawheed. The true meaning of Tawheed is to worship Allah alone. It's a very subtle difference here. One is to believe intellectually, rationally, that Allah alone is worthy of worship. The second is to live your life and only worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That each and every moment of your life, you're only submitting and you're only worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is a true Tawheed. So Tawheed is more than a belief. It's a creed, which means it's a way of life. It's a way that you live your life. It's something that dominates each and every moment of your life. So true Tawheed means to live your life in a state that you worship, you obey, you submit only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another story, once a sheikh used to say many times to students, a woman taught me the meaning of Tawheed. He used to say this many times. And then one day one of his students asked him, Oh, Shaykh, why do you always say that? That a woman taught you the meaning of Tawheed. So he said that, well, once I was sitting, and a woman came to me wearing niqab in the shari parda, uh, she was veiled, and she said that, Oh, Shaykh, I want you to write a fatwa for me. And he said, On what? And she, she said that, I want you to write a fatwa that my husband cannot marry a second wife. And he said, Oh, a woman, because Allah has said in Quran, He has given permission, uh, given certain conditions, that a man can marry a second wife, how can you, I write a fatwa for you in a general sense that uh, a man cannot marry a second wife? And she said that, oh, Shaykh, 
She took a, a sigh, a deep breath, and she said, Oh, Sheikh, that if the Sharia permitted me, I would remove my veil in front of you. And if you were to see me and see what a beautiful person, a beautiful woman I am, then your own heart would testify that any man who has a wife as beautiful as me, it should be haram, it should be forbidden for him to take a second wife. So the Sheikh then said that when the woman left, tears came into my eyes. And I thought that, Ya Allah, if this woman has so much ghayrah, she has so much uh, pride in her beauty, that she thinks that because she is so beautiful, that there should be no sharik, no, she should have no partner, then, oh Allah, what must be the condition of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who is the Al-Azim, the Al-Akbar, the Al-Jameel, Al-Jamal, the most incredible, the most beautiful being, how can he tolerate that anybody should be his sharik? So since he said that this is the way that a woman taught me the meaning of Tawheed. So Tawheed means that to truly and only love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the exclusion of all of the loves. If you have love for anything else in the world, it is only but for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The seed of the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our heart. So if you want to increase in your love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you must learn how to purify and to clean your heart. Just think that how much time we spend cleaning the other parts of our bodies. How many of us, some of us take one or two showers a day. We're so fastidious about cleaning our teeth. We're so fastidious about cleaning the bathrooms in our homes. We're so into cleanliness and tahara and purity, but we do not reflect that we must purify and we must clean our hearts. Because our hearts are the dwelling places for the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, in the hadith, Prophet said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala resides, He lives in the hearts of His believers. Metaphorically speaking, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dwells and lives in the hearts of the believers. And the way to purify your heart is through the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the first way that you increase in your love for Allah, is that the more and more you remember Him, the more and more you make dhikr, the more and more you think about Him, you will automatically start to fall in love with Him. The reason we don't love Allah is because we never think about Him, because we never remember Him, because we don't bother to know anything about Him, because we don't reflect on His majesty and His glory. So if you don't know something, if you don't think about something, if you don't remember something, then how is it that you hope that you should fall in love with that being? So the first step in increasing our love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to increase in our remembrance, is to increase in our dhikr. So you should remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all the time, 24 hours a day. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in Quran, Ya ayyuhaladzina amanu thkurullaha dhikran kathira. In another place, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions those who remember Him, ayyaman wa qa'udan wa ala janubihim, standing, sitting, and lying on their sides. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to tell us is that we should be remembering Him 24 hours a day. Each and every moment of the day, we should be remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you start to do that, if you try to be a person who remembers Him throughout the day, then you will find your love for Him will increase. Because this is something natural that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put inside of us. He placed the seed of His love inside of us. So actually, all you have to do is think about Him. All you have to do is remember Him. The second you remember Him, you will automatically, naturally feel that love for you come. You won't have to force it to come. You won't have to fake it to come. You won't have to think about how to make it to come. All you have to do is remember Him. The second you start remembering, recollecting, thinking about Him, your heart will automatically start to love Him. How do you remember Allah SWT 24 hours a day? So there's a practice that our Messiah teaches. In Persian they used to call this, Hostardam. Look at our Salah Salihin, they used to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so much 
they used to want to remember him so much that they used to teach that every time you breathe, you should not take a single breath in life except that you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It means when you must remember him every single moment that you should not take a single breath in the entire day except that when you take that breath, you are in a state of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then some mashayikh went one step further. They said, well, if you look at a breath, it's made up of two things. You exhale and you inhale. So they said, not only should you take every breath in a state of remembrance, but you should exhale and remember Allah. And when you inhale, you should remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then one of our shayukh, Shaykh Bahauddin Naqshaban rahimahullah, took it even one step further. And he said that between the inhale and the exhale, there's a short pause. Even that short pause, he used to tell his students that you must remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even for that fraction of a pause between the inhaling and the exhaling. So look at the level of these mashayikh, how much they wanted to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they were preoccupied with that, that we must spend every moment our lives in a state of remembrance. In fact, they used to say in Persian, Jodam ghafil, Vodam kafir. That that moment that we spent in a state of ghafl, in a state of heedlessness, it is as if we spent that moment in kufr, in a state of unbelief. And truly that's the problem with us as Muslims today, that's why we resemble the non-Muslims. That's why we live animal-type lives. And that's how Allah Taala described like ghafilin. Ula'ika kal an'am balhum adal. This is how in the Quran Allah Taala describes the people of ghafla. Ula'ika kal an'am, they are like animals. Balhum adal, in fact, they are even lower than animals. How, why can we be lower than animals? Because animals didn't have the ability. They didn't have the ma'rafat, they didn't have the ability to attain the ma'rafat, to attain the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Human beings had that potential, they had that ability, and they still failed to do so. They still failed to remain ghafil or heedless or unaware. So Allah said, Ula'ika kal an'am, they're like animals, balhum adal, in fact, they're even worse than animals. Because they've voluntarily chosen the animal way of life. The animal was created an animal, he didn't voluntarily choose that way of life. We were created as human beings, as the ashraf al-makhluqat, but, and what is the single thing that Allah mentions in this ayah? It's ghafla. It's this one thing, heedlessness, being unaware, being distant, being absent-minded from Allah. This one characteristic makes you or makes us even worse than the animals. And why is that? Because the more and more you're distant from Allah, the more and more you're unaware of Allah, that means you don't have any love for Allah subhanahu in your heart. And one of the primary reasons Allah subhanahu created you was for His love. And all of us know that every object, everything in the world only has a value when it fulfills its intended function. Right? If there's a machine sitting in a factory and it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, it's not fulfilling its purpose. Even if it's a million dollar machine, the factory owner will say that machine has no value for me because it's not fulfilling the purpose for which it was required. Well, just like that, the purpose of the human being is ibadah, is muhabba, is to love and to worship and obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that human being who is not fulfilling his purpose in life, then he has no value in this world. Or that salah which is devoid of dhikr. Aqeemu salatu li dhikri. Establish the salah for my remembrance. So imagine if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does that with us on the Day of Judgment. That He tells us on the Day of Judgment that I commanded you, I told you the maqsad of salah in Quran. That the purpose you're supposed to establish the salah is for my dhikr, for my remembrance. And not only were you unaware, were you absent-minded, were you heedless of me throughout the day, but you used to come in the masjid and you used to stand in the rows and you were still unaware of me. So your salah didn't fulfill the purpose for which you were supposed to be praying it. So that thing which didn't fulfill its purpose has no value. So today your salah has no value in my eyes. What if Allah was to t- tell us that on the Day of Judgment? 
So these ayat of the Qur'an, these are not for some other people. These ayat are for us. So if we feel that we don't have zikr, we don't have the remembrance of Allah in our salah, it means that we must do something. We are in deep spiritual trouble. We are in a state of spiritual cancer if we're unable to remember Allah even in our salah. And contrast this to the other people Allah SWT mentions in the Qur'an, رِجَالٌ لَا تُلْهِيهِمْ تَجَارَةٌ وَلَا بَيْءٌ عَنْ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ that they were such people, لا تُلْهِيهِمْ that uh, uh, they were not distracted. Not neither did bear or commerce distract them, nor tijara nor trade. Neither of the things distracted them from the remembrance of Allah. So in this verse, bear and tijara are just kinaya; they just represent anything of the world. It means that they were such people that nothing in the world could distract them from the remembrance of Allah. And we are such people that everything in the deen even still fails to bring us to the remembrance of Allah. They're totally opposite from the people who are mentioned in the Qur'an as Rijal. And look, Allah only used a very strange word to describe them. Simply Rijal, that they are men. In other words, true manhood, true humanity, true womanhood lies in the ability to remember Allah to the exclusion of all else. And this is, by the way, another proof that the zikr is, takes place in the heart. And if you look what Allah mentions, Bay and Tijara, when a person is engaged in trade and commerce, his tongue is busy. He's bargaining, he's negotiating, he's haggling, he's selling the price. So their tongues were busy in bay and tijara, but still, even the fact that their tongues were busy in the dunya, their hearts were ne- would never fail, even for a moment, to be distracted from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the sign of their love, this is their maqam, of their muhabbat, that they were perpetual in their dhikr. So this is Qur'an. I'm not reciting to you some strange thing. In fact, for those of us who work in the deen, for those of us who have positions of responsibility in this community, you should listen to another ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Qur'an. In fact, before I, I, uh, I re, re, uh, recite that ayah, you should understand something. Anybody who does any work in the deen, the success to your work in the deen is that people listen to you. It's not because you want people to listen to you, you want to be followed. But any to achieve success in any work of the deen, it's necessary that a person listen to you. For example, if you're a teacher, well, if you want to successfully teach your students, obviously it's necessary that your students listen to you. If you're an administrator, well, it's necessary that the community listen to you, right? If you're making da'wah, it's necessary that those non-Muslims listen to you. If you're making tabliq on your fellow Muslim and you want to invite him to salah, you want to invite him back to the deen, it's necessary that that fellow brother listens to you. If you're trying to teach people tazkiyah, you're trying to invite them to the path of zikr, in order for you to be successful, it's necessary that that person listen to you. So the success of each and every aspect of the deen is that the person that you're trying to engage and trying to bring them on the deen, or the community that you're trying to set up and bring them on the deen, it's necessary that they listen to you. Now listen to this verse of Qur'an. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Qur'an, He laid down in Qur'an for all of humanity who they should listen to and who they shouldn't listen to. Allah SWT said in Quran al-Kareem, وَلَا تُطِعْ مَنْ أَغْفَلْنَا قَلْبَهُ عَنْ ذِكْرِنَا وَلَا تُطِعْ And do not follow مَنْ أَغْفَلْنَا That person whose heart مَنْ أَغْفَلْنَا قَلْبَهُ That person whose heart we have made devoid, we have made empty عَنْ ذِكْرِنَا from our remembrance. So now we should reflect back again on our salah. That if we are unable to remember Allah SWT in our salah, it means we are those people that Allah has mentioned in the Quran. We are those people. Agfalna kalbana. We should say rather kalubana and dikrihu and dikrihi. 
that our hearts have become empty of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just the proof of that is in our salah. If we are honest with ourselves and realize that our hearts are unable to remember Allah, and then look at this verse. So if we dare to think that we can do any work of the deen, Allah is telling the people, don't follow this person. Allah is commanding all of humanity not to follow people like you and me, not to follow the people whose hearts are unable to remember Allah. So it means that even the success of Iqamat al-Deen, even the success of establishing the deen on this earth lies in this zikr. Lies in becoming a person whose heart has the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inside of it. So this zikr is not something that's trivial, it's not something that's nafil, it's not something that's mustahab, it's something that's required for you to do. And that's why earlier in one of the sessions, in one of the morning sessions, I mentioned to you, So the entire success of the Day of Judgment is based on having a purified heart. And the way to attain a purified heart is to do dhikr. So if you do dhikr, you can attain success on the Day of Judgment. If you do dhikr, you can pray the proper way you're supposed to pray. If you become a person whose heart has dhikr, then you can do the work of iqamat the deen, you can establish the deen, do the khidmat of the deen in any way you can. All of this is Qur'an, my friends. Anybody who denies one verse of the Qur'an, what is he risk is very iman. So the Qur'an is teaching us, calling us, exhorting us, inviting us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is inviting us to remember Him. Then He entices us. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, now look, it would be very difficult to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if He was distant from us. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of His mercy, if Allah wanted to, He could have just created us and let us be. He should have simply put us on this earth and said, I'm your khalik. I sent Quran, I sent Sunnah. Now, you know and you're, uh, you do what you have to do. I'll deal with you on the Day of Judgment. Allah could have said, you have Quran and Sunnah. Now I have nothing to do with you anymore. You know what you're supposed to do. I'll deal with you on the Day of Judgment. But no, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not an absent Lord. He is not a distant Lord. He is a kind and close Lord. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, that not only have I put you on this earth, not only have I created you, not only am I your hadi, not only have I sent the hidayah and the guidance for you, not only have I sent the Quran and Sunnah, but Allah said in the Quran, huwa ma'akum, ayna ma'akuntum, that no, I'm your companion. That in this suffer, in this travel of the world, I'm your companion. If any of you have ever traveled with a companion, for example, me and brother Oasis once traveled to California, we were companions on that journey. So you know how much your companion is with you how close he is to you at each and every moment of the journey, how much better and nicer it is to travel with a companion. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not leave us alone in this journey of the world, but He said, huwa ma'akum ayna ma'kuntum, that know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the gift of His ma'iyah, the gift of His companionship, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with you wherever you may be. He is with you in the school, He is with you in the workplace, He is with you in your home, He is with you in the masjid, He is with you when you're in a state of wudu, He is with you when you're in a state of najasa. He is with you when you're obeying Him and He is with you even when you're sinning against His commands. Huwa ma'akum ayna ma'kuntum Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with you wherever, however, whenever you may be. Look at this incredible rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That He gave us the gift of His companionship. He is with us at all times. What a tragedy it is that we don't feel Him as our companion. That Allah wants to be our companion in this world but we rather choose to travel this world solitary, alone. 
We don't wish to view, we don't live our life as if Allah is our companion. How many of us can say we feel that companionship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? We have ihsas, we have idraq, that we feel or we understand that companionship. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala went one step further. Maybe somebody would think that maybe Allah is a distant companion. Who knows what type of level that companionship is, how close a companion Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Quran another ayah. Quran Adimushan, Nahnu Akramu Ilayhim and Hablin Wareed. That know that we are closer to you than your crowded artery, we are closer to you than your own selves. So it's not just any companion then. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our intimate companion. Our close and intimate friend, our close and intimate companion. Look at the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya Allah, we ourselves as human beings, we don't like to go near something that is dirty. We don't want to be qareeb or prox- have any nearness or proximity to the things of filth. And us, Ya Allah, you're sinning, you're ungrateful, you're najas, you're filthy servants. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you choose to be close to us. You chose to be closer to us than even our own selves. This is the meaning of Alhamdulillah. These are the signs, the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rahmah in the Qur'an. And even then, if a person still didn't understand, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala went even one step further in the Qur'an. That not only am I your companion, not only am I closer to you than your own self, your intimate companion, Allah said in Quran, فَذْكُرُونِ أَذْكُرُكُمْ That I'm just waiting for you, just turn to me and remember me. Mutlaq. Remember me in any way that you want. أَذْكُرُكُمْ That I will remember you. So who are we that we deserve to be remembered in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That we deserve to be, that we, how can we be remembered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, أَذْكُرُكُمْ I will remember you. And my friends today, the Muslim brothers and sisters, still fail to answer to that call. Allah wants to remember us, but we still fail to remember Him. So know that if you ever feel distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is the rule of any relationship, if you feel distant from anything, there are only two possibilities. Either you pulled back from that other party, or that other party pulled back from you. Know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never pulls back from His believers. So if we feel distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is because we have pulled back from Him. We have failed to turn to Him in this way of remembrance. We have failed to turn to Him in this way of muhabbat. But still, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is tawab rahim He is still waiting. How sad it is that we keep Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala waiting. فَذْكُرُونِ أَذْكُرُكُمْ He is just waiting for you to remember Him. And it should be us who says Labaik, but the Mashaikh say that's how it is. That the second we remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we make dua. Allah said in Quran that tell my servants that when they make dua that I answer their dua. It means Allah said to our dua. You make dhikr, Allah says Labaik, He makes dhikr of you. You make dua, Allah Ta'ala says, Labaik, He answers your dua. You make toba, Allah Ta'ala says, Labaik, He accepts your toba. Look at this kind and generous Lord, this Rabbi Kareem. What has deceived us about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Look at this month of Ramadan, how kind Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. So many rahmas He has given us in this month. Even such a small thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. And it's such a small thing, but it shows incredible love that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has for His servants. Allah said that the breath, the foul smell from the fasting person is more beloved to him than the smell of musk. SubhanAllah. What a kind and loving Lord Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Ya Rahman, look at the mercy that this foul smell that Allah tell you, who are the most pure, the most amazing being, that you even love that even more than it is as if it is the smell of musk. How can we fail to deny these mercies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How can we not turn to such a kind, such a generous, such a benevolent Lord? 
Ya ayyuhal insan ma'akhadraka bi rabbikal kareem. What has deceived us about this kind of beloved Lord? What has kept us from making a zikr? What has kept us from doing his itaat? What has kept us from feeling his muhabbat? What has kept us from feeling his ma'iyat? What has kept us from feeling his qurb? What benefit is there to iman unless we taste these pleasures? So Allah Ta'ala is inviting us over and over again in Quran that all oh, my servants turn to me, come to me, worship me, obey me, ask of me, plead of me, beg of me, I will grant it to you. I will send ease upon you. I will send my love upon you. I will give my companionship to you. I will answer and grant each and every one of your du'as in one of different ways. This is, look how dynamically Allah is trying to engage us. Thrown so many different ropes, so many different ways of ibadah. This is another rahmah, not just one way of ibadah, just some salah. So many different ways of ibadah. Taste the sweetness of my ta'luk, my relationship through salah, through du'a, through dhikr, through siyam, through tawaf, through umrah, through hajj, through rami, through sa'i, so many things, through wudu, through anything and everything practically that you can do, you can transform it into ibadah. Just make a niyyah. Look at how incredibly mercy Allah subhanahu wa merciful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in our deen. My friends, it means that we should turn to Allah. And know that if you turn to Allah, if you sacrifice something of this world for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, man kana lallahi kana allahu lahu. That that person who gives himself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes a servant of Allah, then he gets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in return. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be from This was the condition of the Sahaba. This is how the Sahaba Kiram were transformed. That they gave themselves up to Allah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave himself to them. This is why he said, radiallahu anhum an, that they were 100% pleased with their Lord and their Lord was 100% pleased with the Sahaba. What type of people were there? What type of human beings? What type of model of this is for humanity? That they earned the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah ta'ala laid it out for all of the time until the day of judgment for everybody to witness radiyallahu anhum maradhu'an yuhibbuhum wa yuhibbunahu yuhibbuhum that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves them wa yuhibbunahu and they love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala another verse of Quran this is the tragedy when you don't know Quran you don't even know these verses how many of us ever even knew that Allah said that in Quran yuhibbuhum wa yuhibbunahu that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved the sahaba and the sahaba they loved him this was their level, their maqam of muhabbat, the maqam of rida. They had the ridwan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And these ayahs are not just specific to the sahaba. Any one of us today, any Muslim in the world today, if he works on himself, if he turns to Allah, he can also get that muhabbat, he can also get that rida. he also can be mistaq or he can be included in these ayat. And in fact, that is the purpose of Allah ta'ala revealing this ayat, to entice and to invite all the Muslims for time memorial to attain these states. Look, all these different things Allah mentions in Quran, these sifat. Sabirin, mutawakkilin, mutatahirin, tawabin, awabin, muhsinin, muttaqin, zakirin. All of these states were for you and me to aspire to. If the Muslims don't rise to this call, if the Muslims don't try to adorn themselves with these sifat, then who else is there left on earth who's going to try to adorn themselves with these attributes? So these are attributes for us to aspire to. These are the type of du'as we should be making. That, oh Allah, make me also increase in your love for you. Make me also have your pleasure. Make me also amongst the tawabin. Make me also amongst the sabirin. This should be our fikr. This should be our worry in life. This should be the be-all and end-all of our life. That we also have to get these states, get these attributes somehow. 
And again, the Sahaba were eaten. Every Sahaba was eaten every one of these things. Every single Sahaba had all the perfect characteristics of Imam. And this is why when you hear the stories of Sahaba, you see how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did for them. For example, the famous story of the Sahaba Zul Bajadain. The famous story of the Sahaba. Abdullah was his name, but he became known as Zul Bajadain. He was a young Sahaba who used to live somewhere in the small village outside of Medina. And he accepted Islam secretly. He didn't tell his parents. His parents were kuffar. And he used to hide his deen from his parents, from his uncles. But whenever the, his family members used to discuss the Prophet Muhammad he used to listen very earnestly. So one day his, when his father realized that, look, my son is being a bit too attentive every time we discuss this new Prophet that has come, so then he got a suspicion in his heart. Actually, what happened is Allah Ta'ala had decreed that it was time for the secret to be revealed. So this man then had a suspicion in his heart that his son had accepted Islam, so he confronted his son. But have you accepted Islam? And then when he was confronted face on, this is what they say, that how long can the lovers hide their love? How long can love remain hidden? So when he was confronted face on with a direct question, he couldn't hold back and he said, yes, my father, I've accepted Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu as the last messenger and as my guide. And the father became upset. He yelled at his son. And they said that, Oh my son, no, you have to make two choices. You have a choice today. If you wish to stay in my house, under my roof, you must renounce this new deen. And if you wish to accept or continue in your belief in this deen, then you must leave my house. Easy choice for him. He said, I will, re- I will renounce this house. I can leave everything in the world, but I cannot leave Muhammad and Mustafa. So then the father said that, Okay. And he got angry. He said that I will kick you out of my house 100% naked. And he stripped his son, Abdullah al-Bajadain, of all his clothing, and he kicked him out of the house. But then the mother, and the end mothers are mothers, the mother, she secretly slipped out, and she gave her shawl or a piece of cloth to her son. Her son ripped that piece of cloth into two. This is why he became known as al-Bajadain. Al-Bajadain means the one of two shrouds, or the one of two cloths, or the one of two shawls. And he wrapped one around his satr, and then he draped one over his shoulders, and then he thought, now where should I go? So where does the person go? When he is free, when he has become set free from the chains of the dunya, set free from the chains of kufr, where would the lover go but else to his beloved? He went straight to Medina Manawara, straight to the Prophet Muhammad The Prophet was sitting in a group of his sahaba, and he saw Sayyidina Dhul Bajadayn radiallahu anhu. Radiallahu anhu. He saw Sayyidina Dhul Bajadayn anhu come, and he smiled. And all of the Sahaba saw this, that all the Sahaba were sitting there, they saw the Prophet looking a bit behind us. So they all turned to look and see who is this person that's coming, that Prophet is smiling at his coming. So Sayyidina al then came and he told Prophet what happened, and Prophet kept him with him. Then there came a time for jihad. And Sayyidina Zulbajadain, mashallah, he used to be very earnest in his jihad. But then what happened once is on the way to Man Jihad, he became very sick. He fell very sick. It became apparent that he was in his marazul maut. He was in his final sickness, in his sickness of death. So then somebody came and told the Prophet Muhammad that Sayyidina Zulbajadain is about to pass away. The Prophet immediately went to that Sahaba. This is the rank of... of, of an, uh, uh, I mean, this isn't one of the big famous names, Sayyidina Abu Bakr, Sayyidina Umar, that we're talking about. This is the level I want you to see, the level of the ordinary Sahaba, so to speak. I mean, the word ordinary isn't really appropriate to use even for them, but the, uh, of, of, of maybe not so famous Sahaba. 
So the Prophet went to Sayyidina Zulbajadain and then he looked at him and then he saw that he was about to pass away. So he sat down next to him and he took his head and he put it in his lap. And he cradled his head in his lap because Prophet wanted that Sayyidina Zulbajadain should pass away in such a state that his head was in the lap of Nabuwa. What a way to leave this world. So when you leave the dunya for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, look how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes you leave this world. So Sayyidina Zulbajadain passed away, his spirit, his rule left his body in the state that his head was in the lap of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu Then it came time for the burial. Now Sayyidina Zulbajadain was a fakir. He was a poor person, he had no family left to support him. So Prophet then decreed, he gave his own shawl and said, use my shawl for the kafan, for the burial shroud, for the burial shroud of Sayyidina Zulbajadain. So that young man who was willing to go naked for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed that he should be laid to rest and then be re- raised up again on the Day of Judgment in the cloth, the barakah, the blessed cloth, the clothing, the shawl of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Then there came the issue of who would lay him to rest in the grave. And it's a general adab or principle of the sharia that the closest family member lays the deceased into the grave. Now again, his family members had not yet accepted Islam. So Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Umar, because they had seen that the love, the kind love that Prophet had for him, so they offered themselves. That This itself is such a great thing that the two greatest sahaba, the two greatest human beings after the Prophets, and in, some, in the eyes of some ulama, Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Umar, they will be raised amongst the Prophets. They're not Prophets, but their greatness in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are as great as the other Prophets in the Sam Umar Ulama. So Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Umar, the two greatest of all the Sahaba, the two greatest Muslims ever to have lived, after the Prophet, they went to the Prophet and said that, Ya Rasulullah, we want to be the ones who lay Sayyidina Zulbajadain into the grave. And this wasn't something that happened for every Sahaba. Not every Shaheed was laid in by Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Umar. But Prophet said, no. That I will myself lay him into the grave. In one riwayah, Prophet himself laid him into the grave, and then when Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Umar came to help, he then told them. He specifically addressed Sayyidina Umar and said, O oh, Umar, be gentle and be kind with your brother. In other words, be careful in how you lay him into the grave. So much lihaz or so much care Prophet took that he called to account Sayyidina Umar, such a Jalilul Qadr Sahaba, and told him, O oh, Umar, be careful in how you lay to rest Sayyidina Abdullah Zulbajadain. And then obviously Prophet led the janazah and then he made dua and the dua he made he said that Oh Allah, I, in the I Muhammad Mustafa Sallam, I am pleased with Dul Bajadain. Oh Allah, you be pleased with him as well. Sayyidina Umar Allah narrates that when I heard that dua, I wish that I myself had died that day. I wish that it was me who was being laid into the grave. I wish it was me who was getting that dua from Prophet Sallam that Oh Allah, I am pleased with him. May you be pleased with him as well. Even today, if a young man chooses to make sacrifices, to dedicate himself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to live his life for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be with him. This is a universal principle. Man kana lillahi Allahu lahu. That that person who submits himself, who dedicates himself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah ta'ala will give him himself. Allah ta'ala will bestow his special honor, his special grace on such a person. May Allah ta'ala give all of us the ability to strive for his rizwan, to strive for his rida, to strive for his muhammad, wa akhir da'wana, and alhamdulillah,
in fact, you have an example of such a young man here before you in Chicago in the uh, form of Sheikh Hussein Abdus Sattar, somebody who I have known much longer than any of you. I often tell him that I am your first Ashik. Before these young guys even knew you existed, I was your first student. So he is somebody like that who left everything in this world for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who dedicated himself to seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who spends his days and nights trying to earn the muhabbat, to trying to earn the love or to become the beloved of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it is an example for you, my friend, that you should hold fast to his company and see that there are such young men, such young men still alive in the world today who have dedicated themselves to Allah, who are following the path of the Sahaba, who are the Dhul Bajadains of today, and surely, inshallah, with the fuzzle, the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will be erased amongst the Dhul Bajadains on the Day of Judgment. ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكوننا من الخاسرين اللهم أعيننا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك وتلاوة كتابك يا الله يا رب الكريم يا الله today we are your weak and sinning servants يا الله we are those sinning servants of yours who have left your ways we are those sinning servants of yours who have failed to remember you Ya Allah, we have failed to remember you in our salah. We have failed to remember you in the day. We failed to remember you at night. Ya Allah, we are those who are in danger of being like the animals or even worse. Ya Allah, we are those who are in danger of having earned the hellfire. But Ya Allah, tonight we turn to you in tawbah. We turn to you in istighfar. We turn to you in abba and rujuah. Ya Allah, we turn to you and we look upon your rahmah. We reflect upon the stories of your rahmah. We reflect upon the verses in which you discuss your rahmah. Ya Allah, we want to know you as kareeb. Ya Allah, you yourself said in Quran, fa'inni kareeb, that you are close to us, Allah. Ya Allah, today we beg of you to let us feel that closeness. Ya Allah, we beg of you to draw us close to you. Draw us near to you. Let us have ihsas of your ma'iyat. Let us feel your companionship in our lives. Ya Allah, let us feel you as our true companion in our lives. Ya Allah, let us make you our true companion in our lives. Ya Allah, let us open up us to the realities of your, of your reality. Ya Allah, grant us your ma'rifah. Ya Allah, grant us the deep and innermost knowledge of you. Ya Allah, we also want to be people who know you, who love you, who worship you and obey you. Ya Allah, how long will it be before we attain this state? Ya Allah, how many years will pass before we attain this state? How many years will pass before we feel you in our lives? Ya Allah, please soften our hearts to feeling you. Ya Allah, soften our hearts to your remembrance. Soften our hearts to your awareness. Soften our hearts to your dhikr. Ya Allah, you yourself said in Quran, even the hardest of rocks from them water can gush forth. Ya Allah, our hearts are the hardest of rocks. Ya Allah, but you can make the water of your nur, the water of your ma'rafa, the rivers of your ma'rafa gush forth from them. Ya Allah, shower your rahmah upon us. Ya Alhamdulillah, Rahmin, Alhamna. Ya, O oh, most merciful of the merciful ones shower your special mercy on us today Ya Allah I take one, one glance from you Ya Allah we will be transformed Ya Muqallib Al-Qulub all the transformer of hearts the revolutionizer of hearts Ya Allah change our hearts this day Ya Allah make us people of dhikr Ya Allah make us regular in our dhikr make us people who remember you at all times who think about you at all times Ya let our days be for you let our nights be for you let our thoughts be for you let our emotions be for you let our feelings be for you let our words be for you let our 
our tongue be for you. Let our hearts be for you. Let our bodies be for you. Ya Allah, we wish to dedicate each and everything that we have for you. We wish to submit ourselves completely to you. Ya Allah, we beg of you this day, accept our intention. Ya Allah, we do not have the strength to commit the action, but Ya Allah, we have the, need, the desire to make the intention. Ya Allah, if you accept this intention from us today, then Ya Allah, only you can give light to these words. You can give action to these words. Ya Allah, please accept these words from us today. Accept this intention from us today. Ya Allah, your beloved Messenger وسلم, said, In the Malu Binniyat, that actions are according to intentions. Ya Allah, he was the Sadiq al Amin. He was the most truthful one. Ya Allah, you are a Siddiq. You are the most truthful one. Ya Allah, we invoke your Siddiq. We invoke his Siddiq. Ya Allah, accept our intentions today. Ya Allah, let our actions be according to our intentions. Ya Allah, how many times have we been intended to please you, but we have failed? How many times have we been intended to worship you, but we have failed? How many times have we have intended to leave that sin, but we have failed? Ya Allah, let us not fail again. Ya Allah, accept our intention today. Give us ikhlas and sincerity. Ya Allah, give us talab and true desire in our hearts. Ya Rabbi Kareem, you have been so merciful to us. Ya Allah, we keep sinning, but you still let us come to this masjid. Ya Allah, you know the sins that we will do when we leave the sitikah, but still you let us come into this masjid. Ya Alhamdulillah, shower your rahmah upon us. Ya Allah, we testify that you are our kind and generous Lord. Ya Allah, we beg of you to forgive us for our sins. Ya Allah, forgive us for all the wrong things that we ever did. Forgive us for all the wrong things that we ever thought. For all, forgive us for all the wrong things that we ever felt. Ya Allah, save us from the zina of the eyes. Save us from the zina of our minds. Save us from the zina of our hearts. Ya Allah, purify our gaze. Ya Allah, purify our gaze. Ya Allah, how long will the young man misdirect his gaze? Ya Allah, today the young men are turning to you in Toba. Ya Allah, the young hot blood is turning to you in Toba. We are begging you, Ya Allah, extinguish these unlawful desires inside of us. Ya Allah, purify our gaze once and for all. Ya Allah, how can this eye that has looked in the Quran look at that which is haram? Ya Allah, how can this eye that has looked at the Kaaba look at that which is haram? Ya Allah, how can this eye which has looked at the ulama look at that which is haram? Ya Allah, we beg of you. Ya Allah, your rahmah, only your rahmah can save us from our sins, only your rahmah can save us from our lust, only your rahmah can save us from our anger Ya Allah, we are unable to control ourselves Illa man rahiba rabbi Ya Allah, you yourself said in Quran that the nafs will command us to wrong except for that person whose rahmah or your rahmah encompasses him Ya Arhamar Rahimin, send your mercy upon us today, Ya Allah, through your mercy clean our eyes and our bodies from all the sins that we used to do, Ya Allah, wipe away all the traces of sin from us Wipe away the records of sin from the book of good deeds. Wipe away the records of our sins from the memories of angels. Wipe away the records of sin from the pieces of land and earth that we did them. Ya Allah, please erase our sins on this day. Ya Allah, keep us from the opportunity of sin. Keep us from the inclination to sin. Keep us from the desire of sin. Ya Allah, make us good members of society. Ya Allah, make us good to our wives. Make us treat our wives with kindness. Make us treat our wives with love. Ya Allah, let us treat our spouses with love. Let us treat our children with love. Ya Allah, let's be people who treat our parents to love. Ya Allah, soften the harshness in our tongues. Ya Allah, soften the harshness of our temperament. Ya Allah, cool the anger that we have in our hearts. Cool the desire that we have in our hearts. Ya Allah, purify us from all of our sins. Purify us from all our bad attributes. Ya Allah, we also want to be adorned with the akhlaq of the Nabi. We also want to be adorned with the adab of the Nabi. We also want to have the beautiful characteristics that the Prophet brought. Ya Allah, transform us into these noble characteristics. Ya Allah, those of us who have any difficulty in this world, Ya Allah, remove that difficulty. Those who have any obstacle or difficulty in following the steen, remove that obstacle for us. Ya Allah, make it easy for us to follow the steen. Make it easy for us to do your ibadah. Make it easy for us to leave our sins. Ya 
Ya Allah, you yourself said in the Quran in Kareem, Khulakal Insanu Daifa, that you created humanity weak. Ya Allah, just like a mother takes special care of her weak children, Ya Allah, we are your weak and sinning servants. Ya Allah, we need your special rahmah, we need your special care. Rabbana taqabal minna innaka anta samir alim wa tubwalayna innaka anta tawab rahim wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimin